Hello, everybody. I, um, of course, I'm excited. I'm always excited about Jesus. Um, <laughs> this week, we had literally, I had to just go over it in my brain. We read through Jonah. We read through, let's see, Joel, Haggai, Zechariah, Haggai. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be here for the next eight hours. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, you know, Zechariah. I mean, it is literally like a mini uh, version of the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, I, I, I was so excited about, you know, the, the two olive trees and the oil that comes out of them through the pipes that goes into the golden menorah and how that can be a reference to the two witnesses that come that I believe is Moses and Elijah when the Antichrist is on the scene and does signs and wonders and calls fire down from heaven and who actually die and then resurrect by the power of God before the second coming of Jesus Christ. I was like, oh, no, no, we're going to talk about the branch of righteousness and how this is a name for the Messiah, uh, the offshoot of David. And, um, you know, I, I started getting into, I literally wrote pages about, uh, you know, that the, the, the prophet was to come to uh, Joseph, which is the name Jesus. Uh, that's Hebrew, uh, is Joseph, but in Greek, it's Jesus. And so the high priest, his name is Joseph. And by the command of the Lord, the prophet is to make a crown to put on his head of gold and silver and, uh, you know, and to crown him so that it would be a memorial when the children of God would go into the temple and they see the high priest whose name is Joseph, which is Jesus in Greek, who is the high priest, but also has the crowns, the royal crown seated on his head. Again, a picture of Jesus speaking about it there in Zechariah, foreshadowing what will come when he sits on the throne there in Jerusalem. Uh, but the Lord said, no, we're not doing that. And um, so, you know, and then even to land in Haggai, when last week, uh, you know, uh, we were talking about where are we at on the prophetic time clock? Uh, Ezekiel 37 and those dry bones that literally by the command of the Lord through the mouth of the prophet come back together. Uh, a picture of Israel, literal, physical Israel, uh, a people group who had been dispersed and persecuted throughout the world for 2,000 years. And God has had them come back together. 1948, we saw the fruition of that ancient prophecy through Ezekiel come to pass. And so the next sign that we are looking for, it, it, there's many different ones. We're going to be looking at some of them this morning, but the big one is going to be the temple, the third temple that will be built. Um, and so we went over that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I highly recommend looking at last week's teaching um, about uh, where we're at on the prophetic time clock. Um, and we go into Ezekiel 40, 41, 42, 43, and the glory of the Lord actually comes to that temple, uh, you know, and that we're there. This, we're here. We are living in a prophetic moment. We're literally watching things come to pass so fast that the church seems to be asleep and doesn't know what time it is and that the hour is late. Jesus is coming again soon. Hallelujah. I am excited. Um, so let's pray um, because, uh, you know, and just bear with me. Um, I am completely relying on the Holy Spirit uh, always um, because he, the way he wrote this message was different for me than he's done in the past. And I just saw him almost like grabbing me and we're tiptoeing through these books. We tiptoe through the prophets, but it's an applicable word that he has for the church today, for the remnant that is, is seeing what's going on. We're seeing the signs. We're feeling the tug of God on our lives. We're wanting to participate with him. We understand that, that yes, things are hard. Things that are coming will be hard, but ultimately it ends with a new beginning. So this dispensation of time is wrapping up and, and, and closing. But remember, they're birth pains. We're in the birth pains. Birth pains because something new 
is going to be born. So we have to change our language because our words have power. And so we're not talking about the end of the world. We're talking about the new beginning of the millennial age where the Prince of Peace is ruling and reigning there in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount once again. Uh, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive. Lord God, I thank you that, um, you know, I just pray right now for uh, the, that dunamis, the, the power of the Holy Spirit would start, uh, the, the, the listeners right now, you'd start feeling it rising up in your stomach. That dunamis power, that means dynamite. It talks about that in the New Testament. The power of the Holy Spirit to, to break off right now anxiety, to break off fear in Jesus' name, to break off apathy, Lord God. We pray right now in Jesus' name that spirits of confusion would have to go. Lord, that this is the message. This is the hour for, for, for everyone who's listening. You've ordained for us to be on the earth for such a time as this. And you're giving your kids instructions on not just how to survive, but how to thrive in this time and in this season, Lord God. Uh, it's a new day. It's going to be new ways. We haven't traveled this way before. And so, Lord God, right now, uh, you know, even I, I pray off uh, death spirits, actually. I've been talking to people. The attacks of the enemy have been strong. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we just put the blood of the lamb over every listener right now, over myself right now, in Jesus' name. The blood that speaks a better word. We are covered by the blood of the lamb. And, and that right there, that's, that's, we, we are, we come right under the blood, Lord God, so that no weapon formed against us will be able to prosper in Jesus' name. And now would you just settle our hearts, Lord God, enlarge us to hear the, the specific words and directions that you have for each and every one who's hearing this message, Lord God, that you would write it into our hearts, Lord Jesus. And thank you for giving us the, the, the grace for, for this day to, to stand, um, to continue, to not grow weary, to not grow anxious and fearful. And, and, and our, you know, so our, our hearts wax cold and the falling away, but we would be the remnant that follows you. And we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom, your reward, Jesus. We want to bring you gifts. You are worthy, worthy, worthy to bring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords gifts with our living sacrifice, our life laid down for you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, no, this is not the message. That was Zachariah, the one that I wrote, not that one, this one. So, okay, this is amazing because here we are wrapping up our prophets here. Um, uh, God, listen, he could have picked anyone in the world but he sovereignly chooses the Jews. And he says, you will be my chosen people, okay? Then he takes this one man, Abraham, one man, and he pulls him out of paganism. He's surrounded by foreign gods and paganism and a heathen lifestyle and practices. And there he pulls Abraham out of paganism in the middle of Iraq. And he says, you, Abraham, and he pulls him out. And this sets this amazing story in motion. And from this one little family, do not despise the day of small beginnings. God grows them into a nation, a nation. And what does God do? What's his intent with this man, Abraham, and the family that would come from him and the nation that would be born out of him? God reveals himself to them so that then they in return can reveal him to the world around them. So then we have Zechariah chapter 12, verse three. And like I said, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna be touching in Zechariah, then we're gonna be in the book of Joel. Then the Lord had us, you know, we're gonna tiptoe into Malachi. Uh, oh, Haggai is in between there. And then we'll go back to Joel and land there. So Zechariah chapter 12, verse three says, and in that day, I shall make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the peoples. All who burden themselves with it will be severely injured. 
though all the peoples of the earth are gathered together against it. So right here in Zechariah, it's prophesying. It's telling us the things that we've been talking about, that all the prophets have been warning about, that everyone at one point in history and in time, and we're getting to that place, is a going to surround Israel and come to attack God's land and attack God's people. And we're getting closer and closer to that day. But the question, and I want you to be able to understand this because it changes your prophetic, it changes if you don't understand these things, you're not gonna know what's going on in the world around you. Again, we will be people who live by it is written as Jesus demonstrated for us when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. It is written. You need to know what is written. You need to understand these things because it will change the way that you understand what's going on and the events around you and then how then you should walk. So why is tiny little Jerusalem, like it talks about here in Zechariah, and it is in this day and age now, Jerusalem on the front page of the world news. Why is tiny Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the peoples? I explained this to my son Isaac this morning and went over this, and he was like, that makes perfect sense as I go through what I'm going to share with you right now. And he, you know, this is on his way to conditioning for football practice, so we can do this. Okay, Satan. Scripture tells us Satan is a thief who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. That's who he is. He is the father of lies. He comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Now, Jesus comes, and what does he say? He says, I have come that you may have life. And not just life, but life more abundantly. This is what he says. Jesus is creator. Satan is created. He is created. So they are not equal. This is not going to be a showdown between Satan and Jesus. There is no battle there. That's already won. It's this way. So Satan is created, not equal with Jesus. Satan cannot create. All he can do is take what God has created and twist it. That's what he does. So what God creates, Satan twists. So when we look at history of the Jewish people, you find God says through the ancient scriptures, we have, I'm going to choose the Jewish people and I'm going to choose to bless the Jewish people. So Satan then responds with, okay, then I'm going to curse the Jewish people. God says, I'm going to give them a land, a promised land to the Jewish people. So Satan in return says, I want to then take that land away from those people. God says, I will make Jerusalem a city of peace. So Satan responds and says, I will make it a city of bloodshed. God says, I will make the Temple Mount and make it holy unto my name. Satan then goes, I will desecrate the Temple Mount. So Satan cares about Israel and the Jewish people because God cares about the Jewish people and Israel. He says they're mine and that land is my possession. So Satan wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy Israel and the Jewish people because God promised to bless them and he chose them. And the scriptures tell us not because they were greater than any other people, but because of his sovereignty, he says, I chose you because I chose you. And he is God. So he gets to do that. But that whole idea and simple breakdown, it really undergirds the books that we read this week in the prophets. And I listed them all for you at the beginning. Um, you know, and then particularly, we don't really get to touch on Jonah, but that's God's heart for the nations. That is God sending Jonah despite himself, even with a whale to send him to where he does not want to go because he knows God's mercy and he knows God is literally reaching out to the nations and he wants Nineveh to burn. And, but God puts this message in his prophet, sends them over to these wicked people, asks them, tells them to, to, you know, judgment's coming, basically. That's all he said, you know, you're going to burn. And Nineveh actually turns and repents. But, but all of these books, they're undergirded with that, that whole picture of God says this and deems this, so then Satan comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy whatever God is wanting to do. And it's all going to come to a crescendo. 
These books talk about, listen, the extent that Satan will go to destroy God's people and land. It, you know, like I said, Zechariah is like a mini uh, book of Revelation, you know, um, the, the book at the end that, that John has where he sees all these things come together. Um, but also they speak of the extent and where God will destroy his enemies, the enemies that come to literally war against God himself in the end times, and then how he will also rescue his people. He rescues them. We, you know, we've been through Hosea and we've been through so many of the books. So it's this culmination. But the Lord kind of landed me then in Joel chapter two, verse one. He says here, and we're just going to flow through. But again, this is a very, I, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to, I believe in faith, land certain things that are going to, to light on you and he's going to write them on your heart. It, it's going to give you understanding for the times. It's going to tell you what you need to be doing, how you need to be thinking right now. So we'll, you know, tiptoe through the prophets here. But starting in Joel 2.1, blow the shofar in Zion, sound the alarm, oh my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord has come for it is near at hand. It's very close. Then chapter two, verse 12 of Joel. Therefore also now says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And then verse 13, tear your hearts, not your garments. I don't wanna see religion. I don't wanna see outward expressions merely of doing these things of the fasting and the, you know, they would throw ashes on themselves. They would rend their garments. And the Lord here is saying, rend your heart. I'm after your heart. And then two, uh, verse 15 through 17, blow the shofar in Zion. So this is a warning call. This is even a war cry. And it's this loud blast that would go out and everyone would hear and know. And the Lord is doing that through the prophets right now to you and to me through his word. He says, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people together sanctify the congregation. And the Lord is doing this in his house right now. He, he's bringing that remnant. He's calling us out and he's saying, we need to consecrate ourselves. We need to be in prayer and fasting right now. We need to be crying out to the Lord. We need to assemble the elders, gather the children and those that nurse. Let the bridegroom go out from his bridal chamber and the bride out of her canopy. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord, listen, weep between the porch and the altar. My mother-in-law, who is um, spirit-filled, uh, you know, a powerful intercessor, led by the Holy Spirit, a woman of the word, uh, we just talked um, a couple days ago, and she's in many different prayer meetings with other powerful intercessors who are moved by the Spirit of God and what he's saying. And intercessors, they're the ones who go first. They hear the heartbeat of God first. And there's, there's things that God says, let me use you as a vessel to express my emotions and my heart of what is happening right now in, in, in the land and what I'm doing and what I feel and what I think and what is coming. And she said, I can't stop weeping, Annie. I can't stop crying. And then she'll go and she'll sit next to someone else in these meetings and they will start weeping and they will start crying. It's exactly what we're seeing here in Joel. He says, and let them say, spare your people. Lord, do not give your heritage to reproach. So the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And, and so this right here, we are, in this passage, not just supposed to be meeting uh, alone, but he's saying this is a cry out to those, that remnant who will hear, who will respond, uh, not individually. It's saying do this corporately, do it together. And the message is cry out to God, cry out to God. And the thing that we want to cry out is have mercy, have mercy on us, Lord God, in this day. The priest crying out, spare your people, spare your people, God, your inheritance. And, and this specifically, we've been grafted in. So this is applicable to us. 
but it's speaking to Israel. It's speaking to the Jewish people even at this, this time and in the future. And that we're supposed to stand in the gap and even be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, it, because again, it, I don't think I need to explain to you why this is important. Your people, your land, Lord God, don't let it be a reproach is what he's saying. You know, a, a stench to the nations. And we are watching this happen in our very, this hour. Uh, Anti-Semitism is, is higher than it's ever been uh, in, in the recent history. We are watching these things take place. We're watching the nations start to surround Israel and say, we know what's best for you. And we know when you should annex land and when you shouldn't. And we know what the solution is for the Middle East crisis. And, and we know what will bring peace. And they are totally and completely disregarding the Prince of Peace. They are not consulting the word of God. They don't have the spirit of the living God living inside of them. And that Antichrist spirit that we talked about at the beginning that goes against Israel and its people is, is rising up right now in unbelievable uh, amounts and pressures and coming against. So we're watching. This is happening now. This passage in Joel is saying, don't let the nations, those that are Gentile, the Gentile nations say, they have a God? Where is he? Where is his? Where's their God? They have no God. We will do what we intend to do and we will come into it and we will fight against it. We will tell them what they can do and who this land belongs to. The nations say, let us go conquer. Let us go take the land. They have no God. And this passage is literally saying, and we're gonna end with this word humble because God gave, he led me into an insight in his word about this word humble that blew my mind. But this passage is saying, humble yourselves. He's talking to us, the believers. Humble yourselves before him. Cry out to him. Repent and turn. Give everything to him. All of your heart. Hold nothing back and ask for mercy. Then verse 18, we have a switch, a change. It says, then, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and pity his people. So this is written about Israel and his people, but it's applicable to you and I. And we're gonna jump into Haggai, uh, and it's talking about things that we are beginning to see. We're living in the ancient scrolls have life on them, and they are now rhema words to us, not logos merely, but they're rhema, they're alive. We're living in a kairos moment, like this is the time. Haggai talks about, uh, in chapter two, verse six, for thus says the Lord of his hosts, yet once it is a little while and I shall shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. The world is being shaken. You are being shaken. I am being shaken. I talked about this with Isaac, my 16 year old son who agreed we are shaking. And many will come and say to me, Annie, there have been all these things already in the past. And then the Lord reminds me, never has the world history ever seen a shaking on a world level. This coronavirus being used by the enemy to literally stop economies. I, uh, uh, we have now the race, uh, you know, and the riots that's going on. And, and that, look at that thing that took place that was horrible and egregious, it went all the way to New Zealand is rioting. This is, this is a world shaking like we've never seen. Uh, I, I keep asking Sean, when are they gonna talk about the economy? No one's talking about the economy. It's almost like, you know, look over here, look over here. When literally all the, the joblessness, the, the, the world's economies are in collapsing. Governments are not going to be able to fix this, although they will come up with a solution. But again, apart from the creator. So it will not work. It will be a temporary thing at best that will try to bring healing. But again, it's only the Prince of Peace who will restore all things. And we're coming to the culmination of these things where we will see him come and bring that and will rule and reign with him. But uh, so the world, it's being shaken. In Luke 21, when the disciples are talking to Jesus about some of the 
signs of the times before this, the coming of Jesus, uh, uh, before he comes, it says, kingdom rises up against kingdom. And you know that in the Greek original language, that word for kingdom against kingdom rising up against each other is actually ethnos against ethnos. So you have ethnicities rising up against different ethnicities and those two things warring against each other. It's like the, the, it's like the world is reading the book and they are, uh, you know, they've got the script and walking right into it accordingly. Um, so the shakings, those birth pains have begun. We are in them. Uh, this is the time and the day that we are living in. But then the Lord brought me into Malachi. Uh, so Malachi chapter three, verse 19, let the word just wash over you. For behold, the day is coming that will burn as an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day that comes will burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 20, but to you, is this you? But to you who revere my name, the son of acts of loving kindness will rise. So this relates, he's relating the light of the sun coming up. And as it, 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 everyone, it, it covers everything and you can feel that light and you can see that light as it, it breaks through. He's relating it to the light of the sun, to the glory of God. And then listen to this, you guys with healing in his wings, with healing in his wings. And you will go out and prosper like fattened calves in the stall, verse 21, and you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall prepare, says the Lord of hosts. I wanna come back to that part where it's talking about healing in his wings. If you've been with me, We've been going through the whole counsel of God. We started in Genesis and we did go into the book of Ruth. Um, and so we're talking about the healing in his wings. So at Ruth chapter three, verse nine, Ruth does something uh, stunning and um, kind of mind boggling. It gets lost in the translation, um, but it, it, Ruth three, nine says, and he said, this is Boaz, um, who is at the harvest season. He's sleeping by the grain that he has harvested, keeping watch over it there. And he's sleeping and he says to, this is him. And he said, who are you? And Ruth, she answered, she said, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Therefore, spread your wing over your handmaid, for you are a near kinsman. You are a near kinsman. So she's asking for him. It, you know, many times it's translated skirt, um, but, uh, you know, and we think, oh my goodness, this is very scandalous, you know. She's, she's coming and there he is laying down and she comes and lays at his feet. Picture this, okay? It's speaking to us with pictures, the words, think of the humility coming at the feet of Boaz, who's a picture of Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. And then it's it, the original Hebrew is not skirt, but it's actually wing, wing over. She takes it, puts it over her. As the male bird even covers his mate with his wing when mating. It's this unity, this closeness, this protection, this beauty, a love that um, the Lord wants to have with us and the church. Jewish uh, practice uh, for a groom to cover his bride, he does it with his garment. Um, all of this very symbolic, very poetic, very beautiful, but very literal in our action steps of what this means for you and I. Because what Ruth was actually saying was, marry me. <laughs> Ruth was telling Boaz, marry me. Will you marry me? Uh, Ruth, remember, was a Gentile. She was a Gentile. So this is a picture for me and you, the church. And it's telling us the steps to take. I was talking with a friend about this uh, like two days ago and how we need to be like Ruth in this, this moment, in this time. This is the heart's cry, making our hearts desire Jesus and nothing else but Jesus. Jesus, I want to be married to you. Will you marry me? I want you. I want to only be unified and one with you. Jesus, will you marry me? And it's the cry and we humbly come to his feet. 
because the Father chose us, but we have to choose back. So much of the church is so unaware of the power that God has given to us in free will and choice and taking active steps towards him. Seek me with your whole heart. When you do that, that's when you find the Lord. This is the day where hunger needs to start rising up for you for the more of God, that abundant life in this time, in this day. Jesus, I'm gonna be married to you and only you. Why? Because there's healing in his wings. Back to that verse in Malachi. There's healing in his wings. The wings, they also speak to the prayer shawl. Listen to this. I mean, the layers in the word of God, the power in the word of God to renew our minds, to set us on the right path that bring us into life, that bring us into hope. Look at this. So the, the, that wing actually speaks to the prayer shawl that Moses was told by God to have his people wear. It was almost like a poncho. It was like a square garment that had a hole in the center. You would put it on and then it has these four corners that were braided. And it was to remind them of the commandments that God gave to them, of the teachings that God gave of how to walk in that abundant life. He says, when we do these things, when you follow this way, not your own way, world, but when you come under my teaching and my ways, it brings you that abundant life. You come under my wing and there's healing in there for you. Uh, Jesus, he actually wore one of these uh, prayer shawls. Um, and we know this because uh, the woman with the issue of blood. In faith, do you remember that story? She reaches out as Jesus is passing by just to touch him. And she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she was. But the piece that she reached out to touch was the wing. It was the reminder of the word of God. And it is a picture, again, of there's healing in the wings of God. There's healings in his wings. Look back at Malachi chapter 3, verse 22 with me. Okay, he says, remember the Torah? Remember my teachings is what he's saying in Malachi. Remember the teachings of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, even statutes and judgments. Matthew 24, 12, talking about birth pains, says that lawlessness is going to increase. It's talked about also in other places in the New Testament, lawlessness in, in the, the day of the Lord, before he comes, lawlessness will increase. And I love one of the interpretations of that is Torahlessness. The teachings of God, the ways of God. Yes, the commands of God. Remember, there's healing in his wings. It says, uh, you know, okay, we have watched in this day and age, the church say, quote, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The church has replaced the Jews Israel is a spiritual Israel and the promises belong to us now, the church. Um, the God of the Old Testament, I've heard this so many times, taught personally, been brought into rooms because the Lord wanted me to know the, the message, and this is antichrist message that is being told and spoken and people without discernment are drinking this in. And one of the things that they were saying over and over again is the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. When Malachi 3 verse 6 says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I actually came to fulfill the law and we are saved through faith and it's the grace of God in our lives. But then as we read Jeremiah, we were just in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, we read about the new covenant and that new covenant is made with the same people that God made the first covenant with. And we have been, as the church, grafted into that. So that new covenant, what he says is he puts his law within us 
And then he writes it on our hearts. And I feel like the Lord is doing that in this message with some of you. Because Ezekiel tells us in chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh where basically the ways of God are actually, they become one with you as you're filled with his spirit and the word actually becomes alive in you. And now that abundant life starts flowing, not just in you, but out of you. And that's what you bring to the world. That's how you relate to the world around you. And you bring the hope and you look like Jesus and you live like Jesus because you're filled with Jesus because you're married to Jesus. And you know there's only healing under his wings. Keep going with me. Malachi 3 Uh, verse 23 says, Behold, I'm sending to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day of the Lord. We've talked about the spirit of Elijah. I have a message on that in this series, The Prophets. Look it up if you want to know more about that. And I would recommend also listening to the spirit of Jezebel, which also comes on the scene before the Lord comes again. But here we have Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children uh, to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So one layer of this passage in Malachi, of what we're, we're seeing it now, we're seeing healings take place between fathers and sons. Sons and daughters that are broken, that have father wounds, they're getting a fresh revelation of literally the love of the father. And some of you need that. In Jesus' name, I just pray that you would experience and receive a fresh revelation of the love of the father like you didn't even know was possible. Uh, to, to, to ask for it, to receive it right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I'm watching this happen. This is one of the things that is going to happen before the Lord comes back, that turning, that, that father wound healing that we all have because we need the father, the perfect father to come and touch those broken places and bring healing and bring life to those places in the only way that, that he can do with his love that is perfect and never disappoints and heals. So that reconciliation um, you know, the relationship of children and fathers and, and physical on earth, the fathers and, 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 you know, daughters and sons and being reconciled, that relationship's happening. And I'm watching that happen too. Um, but then also uh, us as kids, God's kids, to turn back, like I said, to our heavenly father. But I want you to understand this because there's layers to the word of God, deep, deep layers. We will never come to the end of learning and growing uh, of this eternal God and how great he is and his love and experiencing it. Uh, More and more revelation, more understanding uh, experienced. But another layer to this is the Christians who have been grafted in as we've been talking about and actually turning back to our fathers the Jewish people. And you say, how are they our fathers, Annie? They gave us the law, the Jews. They gave us the prophets. They gave us the scriptures. They gave us Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. Uh, they, they, the early church apostles were Jewish. The early church was Jewish. Uh, you know, so, so you can't get away from it. And Paul, even in Romans, says that we owe them a debt because of this. And that's talking about money and a monetary debt to the Jewish people because of the things that I just listed here. So again, it's that returning to the whole counsel of God knowing that there's an antichrist spirit when it's saying you need to divorce yourself from the Old Testament. Are you kidding? If you've been with me in the study, you see that all the things that we're going to see come to fruition, it's spoken by through the prophets in the Old Testament. We're living in their words now. Why would we divorce ourselves from that? That doesn't make any sense. Then you will only see in part You won't understand. You will be confused. And it's way easier to be deceived when you do that. We will come to the whole counsel of God and we're going to return to those ancient paths as the word tells us. And God is doing that in our day. 
more and more. He's making the church realize uh, and, and open our eyes to these things, seeing even the patterns that he works, um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, even in the feasts of the Lord and the seasons and the times, the months of the Lord, the, you know, the Rosh Kadesh and all these kinds of things. And it's opening things up for us. Uh, you know, of uh, revelation, fresh revelation of understanding. So it's happening and we're waking up. Our eyes are being opened for many and we're, we're repenting of, of how we thought in our pride before um, and, and we're coming low and we're, we're saying, you know, uh, like Ruth there, you know, I want to marry you and, and that is all of you, the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God, the whole family of God. So I want to end in Joel uh, with two last thoughts. I hope you're doing okay. Um, Joel chapter three, verse one through two. It says, and it will be afterward that I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and some people say it doesn't mean just a physical age, although I think old men are dreaming dreams. Some interpret that to be a maturity in age. Um, so if you're dreaming dreams that God is giving to you and you're young, uh, there you go. Mature in the word of the Lord. But your young men will see visions and I shall pour out my spirit also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days. And this is happening. Um, I was at a house gathering, a Jesus house gathering uh, Friday, and there was a word that, um, you know, one of the leaders got that the Lord was going to pour out a spirit and give a special touch to the kids. And so they brought the kids in. We're literally meeting in a garage, just crying out, waiting on God, worshiping God. The kids come into the center and the Holy Spirit fell on these children like I've never seen before. We're talking about a little uh, eight-year-old and the power of God came on her so strong. She's just down on the ground. Uh, another little seven-year-old, little girl, all. It's the cutest little thing. And the power of God came on her and she is on the ground. And another 12-year-old boy, the things that were so amazing is we're not talking about a touch from the Holy Spirit. And woo, a touch from the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about what this is talking about in, in Joel, where his spirit's being poured out, where you start, you saw destiny start being formed in these kids. There was something so powerful that was happening in them. And it was literally, it was calling out as we spoke and the Lord was speaking in prophecy over these children and even over generations as the mom would come over or the dad would come and kneel over their kids. I saw heart healings happen. I saw destiny and scrolls open up over these kids. I saw 12-year-old boys weeping and repenting and forgiveness and, and literally receiving what God has written over their lives and believing in faith what that is and that it's way bigger than they ever thought, like destiny over his kids. It was amazing. Um, you know, I shared this on Wednesday. It was Tuesday night last um, so a week ago, I'm in another house meeting and I see, uh, you know, this, this house, uh, you know, and a lot of them are strangers, they're new people. And one that came in, she literally, after worship, the Holy Spirit just came on her and conviction came and she confessed and repented out loud for the whole group of strangers that she had been living in the homosexual lifestyle for the last six years that the Lord was convicting her right now and that she repented, that she wanted to cry out to God. She was crying out like we're talking about, Lord have mercy on me. And she fell to her knees on the ground and all of us went and laid hands on her and started praying for her. And there was healing and there was deliverance and she was set free and her life was changed. Another man who was in the same room confessed of the same things and things that have happened to him, that it kind of opened the door for that. And all of a sudden more love came over that man and you just watched the power of God transform him. And this is the stuff that we're talking about. This is why we want the Holy Spirit to come and be poured out in our day. Not so we have a feeling and a moment that, ooh, that was so cool, but to transform people's lives to actually see the gospel happen in power and demonstration and, and for people to be healed, to come into the kingdom and the family of God. And I'm watching it. It's happening. 
It's happening. And these house fires are happening. We end here in verse five. It says, and it will be that whoever, that word whoever is just haunting to me in a good way because God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, he gives the right to become the children of God. Whoever, you're a whoever. I am a whoever. You know, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered for deliverance will be in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. As the Lord has said, the remnant when whom the Lord will call in our readings, that word remnant, it kept popping like 4D off the pages. It would literally like remnant. It was in Haggai. It was in Zechariah. Here we're reading it in Joel. And the Lord actually showed me um, in Haggai, where they're talking about the third, or the temple being rebuilt, sorry, um, with Zerubbabel. He says, Haggai 1.12, and I promise this is the last closing thought. I told you we'd be tiptoeing through all these things uh, by the Holy Spirit leading. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with the entire remnant of people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. So you want to be the remnant? We want to obey the voice of God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, we're listening to the prophets. Heed the voice of the prophets today. As the Lord their God had sent him, and the people were awed before the Lord. So that is not lukewarm, that is not cold, that is hot, that's on fire for God. But what was fascinating and what the Lord started opening up is that word remnant is actually synonymous with the word humble. Remnant, you wanna be part of the remnant, Listen to me. This is the word of the Lord. We need to be a humble people before our God, submitted to the Holy Spirit, submitted to the word of God. Humble. The Hebrew scripture frequently used humble to indicate the faithful minority remaining godly through all their trials, not going into temptations of the world, this is the remnant that's talked about in 1 Kings. We already went through this when Elijah confronts the false prophets of Baal and that woman Jezebel. And, and, and that, you know, Elijah thinks he's the only one that didn't bow a knee. And the Lord, speaking of that remnant who is humble, he says, no, Elijah, there's 7,000 more. So if you are feeling alone in this stir and cry that God is putting inside of you, knowing the time and the day and the season, and you're feeling alone, God has his remnant. And if you want to be a part of that remnant, you need to be humble. It's this word, so the, the, the English, it gets, it gets lost. There's about two dozen verses referring to the remnant, but they're hidden in most English translations because the Hebrew word anav is translated by different English words such as poor, meek, lowly, in addition to humble. Listen to some of these verses. This is why we want it. We have to be humble in this day doing these things that we've been talking about. It says the humble also will increase their joy. Who needs increased joy? Humble. The humble will increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 29, 19. The Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the humble. Humble. It, there, that same word, anav, is translated. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the eyes for those who are bound. Isaiah 61.1. Now listen to this one. This is the one I wrote on my mirror. Zephaniah 2.3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have worked his judgment. So you're working with the Lord here. You're submitted to him. You're humble. He says, seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. In this time of shaking in Haggai that we are experiencing, things are not going to work the way that they used to. We will not be going back. And many are saying, what must I do? You need to actually be applying the things that we are talking about. Right here, it gives you a clue. Humility. When we walk in humility, we get to be part of that remnant that the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Zephaniah says that you might be hidden, that supernatural 
provision comes to you because we serve El Shaddai, the God of too much. The governments and economies are imploding and falling apart. Whatever we look to before, everything's being knocked down. And we can't go back to those things the way it used to be. We are now going to have to be a people that believes the word of God, that's filled with the spirit of the living God. We are going to humble ourselves. We're going to cry out for mercy in this day. We're, we're, we're going to actually uh, believe that God is Jehovah Rapha. He, he's the God who heals. Um, you know, that, that he is actually our shield, that he is our reward, all the names of God, the things that we're going to need. And it's going to be done by listening to the voice of the Lord, being filled with prayer, being on our knees, being humble, knowing the word of God, knowing the times that we are living in, and then led by his spirit. And for those in that remnant, it's going to be the most unbelievable, supernatural, exciting, joy-filled, abundant life experience. I'm not saying there's not going to be hardships, but we're going to say, I want to be under your wing. I want to marry you and responding in that way. And so everything is for him, through him, in him. Hmm. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you for... Um, for everything that you have given to us, Lord. You're, you're so good. You're so amazing. And, and forgive us because we get so distracted. We're, we're easily disheartened. We are easily, uh, you know, um, uh, we, we, we trip into hopelessness. We, we, we don't understand what you have given to us. We, we don't understand and we're, we, we are um, very weak and anemic in applying the word of God and, and actually living in the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us as a guarantee because you're coming back like an engagement ring to marry us. Um, Lord, I, I, I confess these things for myself um, and anyone else who would agree in their heart, Lord God, and we rend our hearts before you. We humble ourselves before you. We want to be that remnant, Lord God. We don't want to miss our appointments with you in this time. Lord God, we don't want to be weak and, and feeble and, and anemic and, and worried and looking like the world. We want to be salt. We want to be light. We want to be partnering with you in this time, Lord Jesus. So Lord God, would you have mercy on us? Would you have mercy on us in this time? Mercy on our families, Lord God. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit afresh and anew. And we just give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, and we give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I also want to recommend that you watch the Copper Scrolls. It's a series that just came out that you can get if you sign up. It's free. Maranatha.tv. Google it. You sign up. It's really simple. And then you want to search for the Copper Scrolls. Uh, it literally goes amazingly with the times that we are living in and uh, the message even of the third temple that I talked about from last week in our study in Ezekiel um, and the, the prophetic time clock of where we are at. We are living in exciting times, exciting days. Jesus is coming. The King is coming. Be filled with looking for him. Don't miss your appointments. Um, and when we are starting up a new study, we'll send out information and let you know. But I love you and thank you for being on this journey with me. God bless you guys. <laughs>